follow your gut that's the first thing do not be afraid to do that follow your intuition and always remember that once you're in an uncomfortable position growth is around the corner so discomfort always equals to growth you always have to follow that when you feel so uncomfortable inside that you almost feel as if you can't do anything else but this trust me that is the right direction for you from Caribbean Ideas in Trinidad and Tobago, this is Uptick, a part of the Caribbean Innovation Content Network. Uptick is a show that brings you the stories of Caribbean entrepreneurs and corporate innovators that are building the next generation of great companies. These are the stories you don't typically hear of how these leaders are working to build brands and businesses that can not only impact the Caribbean world, but also have an impact on the global business stage. Their stories will move you, inspire you, push you to take action, and perhaps spark your next big idea. I'm your host, Chike Farrell. What is that thing, that thing that causes innovators and entrepreneurs to keep going when the chips are down, when people doubt them, when they doubt themselves even. That core essence of drive and determination that causes people to want to build and grow and create impact. It's a really powerful thing. And it's one of the things that's really fascinating about a lot of the conversations that I've had on this show. And today's guest is no different. Schofield Thomas is founder of 800 Tech, a business that's devoted to helping Caribbean small and medium-sized enterprises really harness the power of information technology and modern technologies to transform themselves and their businesses to become even more competitive. Pretty eerily similar to some of the things that, you know, myself and my co-founders at Crib and Ideas really believe in. I was fascinated to just explore with Schofield some of the ways that he's tackled the hurdles that have come his way, how he's juggled his entrepreneurial dream with working and studying and all of the different things that have kind of formed him into being someone who's so focused on building impactful experiences for his customers and really building long-term relationships. Check out this episode, Schofield Thomas on Uptick. And before we jump in, I want to recognize the sponsor for today's episode, Guardian Life of the Caribbean. They have a solution to a need that many organizations have, which is called Keyman Insurance. When you think about it as an entrepreneur or someone who's driving a fast growing business, really the foundation of your success is your people. Your great people become an invaluable resource to the business and they really push your organization forward. Now, without these key people, your business might still exist, sure, but it most likely will not be as innovative and as hard charging and forward thinking as before. And you see, if this happens, particularly in unexpected circumstances where critical illness or death occurs, then Guardian Life of the Caribbean has introduced Keyman Insurance as a solution to this need. You see, Keyman Insurance is a policy that a business can take out to insure their most valuable employees. You can think of it as life and critical illness cover for those who are really crucial to your company's success. And that could be the CEO, that could be your top sales guy or gal, this could be someone with a really specialist skill set. And if any of these people were to, God forbid, suddenly die or fall, ill, a Keyman insurance policy can protect your business against some of the financial repercussions. It pays out a lump sum directly to the business, and this can be used to cover the cost of any profit losses, replacement staff, or other scenarios that you will kind of find yourself jumping into. So it can really help keep you afloat during a really difficult time, and for some organizations, this could be the difference between your survival or closure. 
It perhaps is even more important to look at investing in key man cover when you're relatively small or a new company or when you're in the midst of a growth trust that's really uh, driven by a particular person or persons. Because this can be when you're most reliant on your staff and losing a key member could really be the difference between failure or success. And you might also find that in some cases, your bank might ask you to have key man insurance if you're applying for a loan. So this really addresses an important need. So I want you to check it out, Key Man Insurance from Guardian Life www.myguardiangroup.com. Now, let's jump into the show. All right. Well, welcome listeners to another episode of Uptick, uh, where we feature Caribbean innovators live. This episode, I'm really excited to chat with Scofield Thomas, who is founder and runs 800 Tech IT Solutions Company based in Trinidad and Tobago that does does amazing work. And what's kind of funny about this story is that the suggestion, I got a suggestion, hey, you know what? You know, I have a great guest for you. I was like, oh, you know, who's the guest from someone that I know on, on LinkedIn? And they're like, oh, Schofield Thomas. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, we've been customers of that company for, 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 for many years. So sometimes there's, you know, gems hiding in plain sight. So welcome, Schofield. Great to, great to have you. Thank you. It's actually nice to be here. Yeah, this is great. Well, I'm really excited to kind of get into, you know, lots of different aspects of your journey because it's really been an interesting one. You've been at the at the entrepreneurial game for, for quite some time and you've had, you know, lots of evolutions and revolutions through that journey. Um, but why don't you start off by just kind of sharing where in the country you're from originally and kind of give us a little bit of a sense of your background and route to what you do today. Okay, so originally I'm from South Trinidad, South Trinidad to be more exact. And I grew up in a um, little village out on the outskirts, or actually it's, it's part of the city now, San Fernando, called Pleasantville. And I spent most of my childhood days there. I attended the junior secondary and senior secondary in that year. From there, I went across to Caribbean Union College at that time, which is now called um, University of the Southern Caribbean. So I attended there where I did computers, computer programming and stuff like that, believe it or not. But that wasn't my intro to computers. My intro to computers was at home, actually where I got a computer from a relative that wasn't quite altogether wholesome computer. That actually sparked my interest in computers. So hence my pursuit in CUC, well, CUC at the time, you know, into computers. Just to want to know a little more and understand. But my, my foundation is in South. I'm a Southy at heart. It's quite a different experience living in San Fernando, growing up in San Fernando, to actually live in East West Corridor. Great. So we'll get into kind of, you know, some of your experience now and some of the cool things that you're working on. But what I what I thought was kind of interesting about your story is that so you had this experience with um, with a computer that your relative gave you. And, and if I recall, you, you kind of put it together, you know, you, you kind of put it together yourself. Right. Um, you just kind of got really into all of the ins and outs of, of technology just from that start. Yes, that's correct. You know, um, the computer I got from a relative, um, as I said before, it wasn't wholesome. So there were things wrong with it. And um, I just wanted to make it work. And then when I got it to work, I was interested in making it work faster, making it work better. That desire just led me from wanting to the next, to uh, researching what parts I need to get to upgrade the system. And that made me, of course, have to understand the different components, you know, how the system would work, what are compatible items. You know, so it took a lot of research and back then the internet, well, back then we didn't have internet at home. So the internet wasn't an option at that point in time. So I would probably go in and seek advice from technicians in the computer stores, the, the ones that we had around at that time. You know, that would really help me. And of course, finally, when I 
got things rolling. Desire was there. So I, of course, I signed up for the ISP of the day, which was Carblink at that point in time. Dial up 50 megs. You know, I remember that. That was my first experience being online. And it took off from there, you know, just a world of knowledge online. Yeah. And, and I think what's kind of cool about that is that you, know, you can really see how the threads of that curiosity and that kind of like willingness to solve problems kind of ended up infusing a lot of what you do in your, in your entrepreneurial career. So then, okay, so you're at, you know, CUC or now University of the Southern Caribbean and you're doing IT, you're doing computers. And then you went from there to having a job and starting a business and doing this trifecta of three things at once, yes. um, yes. looking for punishment, right? So tell us a little bit about that shift and that transition and what was behind that. All right. It was a necessity at the time. I wanted to understand a little bit more about computers. So hence CUC. I needed to finance CUC. So hence work. Of course, my passion would just wouldn't let me settle. So hence entrepreneurship. So it was, um, mushmash of just all my desires and aspirations all in one trying to achieve everything at the same time of course and as time marched on that didn't work out too well um, because something would have to take precedence over the other so eventually cuc suffered because i saw the need to pursue my passion because it was such a deep-seated feeling that i need to go down this path that i, I opened and i started um southern technology at that point in time you know, so I started that and it was conflicting with school heavily because my whole concept was, you know what, I'm going to leave in time for, for class, evening classes, run up two classes and then come back down because I actually had my um, office close to the university. But it never worked out like that because something would hold your attention. A customer would need your time. It just never worked out. So in the end, I had to drop CUC at that point in time and I held on to my job and this budding new adventure that I had. Right. So what was behind, you know, you kind of talked about this burning kind of passion to do something entrepreneurial. Did you have influences around you when you were younger that were especially entrepreneurial or, or what do you think kind of led to that burning desire? Interesting question. No, I didn't have anybody around me that was entrepreneurial at the time. No, I didn't have that push or support to do entrepreneurship. I just remember that I, I am a free spirit you know, in some, some instances, and there was just, just this burning desire to do this, you know, that almost as if you can't see anything else but to go down this path. Of course, I tried the normal eight to four jobs, and I just wasn't satisfied. You know, it brought little to no fulfillment to me. Eventually, I realized, okay, this is what I have to do. I have to create my own lane, you know, traverse that lane and see what happens, you know, take the risk, because it's just this feeling, this innate burning feeling within me that I have to do this. Right. Something is just kind of compelling you to do it and you just kind of had to make it happen. So, so how long, you know, roughly has it been since you initially sort of started in business, you kind of created Southern Technologies? So Southern Technologies started off in 2003. So that was my first um, thing into business. I still remember it as if it was yesterday because I remember the fear and the excitement all, you know, mixed up in one understanding what registration documents required, going in on my own during lunchtime, because where I worked, there was some slight flexibility. So I would run down there at lunchtime because it was pretty close to the office and um, go into legal affairs, understand what's required to register, get registration documents. And the next day, when I'm completing that process, it took me a bit, it took me about a month to do it on my own. Go to the bank, create the, um, start a bank account and deposit my first $200 to start this thing. I remember walking out of the bank, you know, with this deposit slip saying Southern Technology Limited on it. 
and I remember just this whole this whole feeling of fear <laughs> in one instant. And then as soon as I rounded the corner, you know, there was a level of excitement, you know, and like, okay, let's do this. You know, so the fear was quickly overpowered by excitement and this gut feeling again that, okay, we're here now, let's get this done. You know, yeah. and I, I got back into to work and I knew that my time there was going to be short. You know, right. the excitement was elsewhere now. Now, what was the business opportunity that you kind of initially saw? Because I know eventually you, you, you sort of recently, or actually not really that recently, rebranded, um, you know, kind of part way through the journey to 800 Tech, and then you've been evolving even further from there. So you'll have seen lots of different things over the course. But I think one of the things that's always interesting for me, um, and I think for some of the listeners is, you know, the idea, the spark, because people are like, okay, well, how do I get started? And what, what was the thing that you were seeing, the pain point you were seeing at the time that led you to believe that there was a business to be created? All right. So at that time, well, I worked in several other small IT companies along the way on my journey um, to this point. I would see customers coming with, in, with problems. Sometimes it's things that could be solved and sometimes they would say, for instance, um, they don't know or just buy a new part. And because of my prior experience at home, making things work, you know, I always had this desire to see things through to the end. You know, so whereas somebody may tell them, hey, you know, you just need to change your part or change your computer. You know, I want to make sure and find a way to get it to work as is. If you, say, if you especially tell me you didn't have the budget for it or you can't buy a computer right now, that's what will set the spark off, you know, and I would want to figure out, okay, how can I help this person? Um, so it went from there, and then my last job before I, I jumped into entrepreneurship, which is working on the help as one in telecommunications and companies, listening to people calling with problems, you know, IT-related problems, businesses with problems, residential people problems, and things that can be solved, and sometimes we may not um, provide them. When I say we, I mean the team I was working with. We may have been providing them with, with realistic solutions, probably just a stopgap measure, you know, but that's not what I wanted to do, you know, so I would spend an extra time on the phone with these customers trying to ensure that things are completed. And in some instances, I would tell them, okay, I could come out to you, you know, and I could help you with this problem. And that's where it started. You know, I started to tell them, okay, hey, we can, you know, solve this problem once and for all, or you could keep calling back here often, you know, and, and that's where it started off. And then I started to do those one-off jobs. Again, once you start doing something well, they start referring you. So they'll refer me to this one, then the next, and the next. And that's where Southern Technology really started off, you know, with the referral system. You know, I just got to a point where I said, okay, let's try something, you know. Yeah, there's something here. Well, that's, that's cool. And I mean, it is true. You know, a lot of people from their kind of core jobs, the job and the space that they see every day, you know, so that's probably one of the most common ways to, to then kind of branch out. So so you kind of had that, you had that experience. Okay, so so now you're here, you're in it, you're going through and you're starting to build this thing. In that sort of stage of the company, before you then evolved to, to 800 Tech, what were some of the highlights at that sort of earlier kind of build out stage? What were some of the bumps in the road that you that you experienced? All right, so highlights. Highlights would be, you know, getting my first employee. For me, that was a highlight. Signing my lease, my first lease was another highlight. Um, getting my first shipment, my first container of computers to resell was another highlight. So there was notable things along the way. Getting encouragement from customers that you're doing a good job and you could make it, that was a huge highlight. Some of the pains, of course, would be um, figuring out how to pay the bills. 
you know, the fear of having a new employee at the same time, the, the joy of having a new employee at the same time, but then the fear of then having to pay this person every month, the responsibility of it, you know, now it's not just you. So, you know, because you understand your mission, you know, so if you don't get paid at the end of the month, you're like, oh, well, you know, but you have this, this drive within you to fuel you. But this person may not share that and they expect a salary at the end of the month. You know, so that was another fear. Then the biggest one was financing, being able to finance this venture. That for me was my biggest fear and stumbling block going going on this journey. You know, it got to a point where it was very critical that we need an injection, an injection beyond what we have already done. Because at that point, I'm already exhausted all my resources, you know, whatever other resources I got elsewhere, they were all allocated. And um, we were at this point where we had a little growth spurt, but we needed financing to continue because returns weren't happening as fast as we wanted it. We at this point, I was like, oh my God, it's scary, you know. It's kind of an interesting story because you went to the well a few times, kind of like evolving each time until you finally were able to to break through and, and get that funding. So tell us a little bit about that story of kind of going to get that funding. Um, so obviously, so I, I tried the government methods, which was NETCO. And of course, back then, well, I'm not sure if it's the same thing now, that was a slow boat to China. So that wasn't happening yeah. fast enough. So, for me. so this is... Just for listeners, this is Netco. This is the National Entrepreneurial Development Company that used to have grants or still does have grants and, and ways that, that entrepreneurs could kind of, you know, potentially get, get access funds. So you tried that first. I tried that. And then, and then it went from there. Yes, my application was in. Um, but of course, things, you know, as with things with government, they move a little slower than in the private sector. So it wasn't happening for me there as, at the pace I wanted it to. So I looked at um, the bank we were banking at at that point in time. And I looked up the requirements to get a loan and I, I sent an application. The first one came back denied. I was like, okay. And I asked why. They cited several different things, you know, okay, um, a business plan, blah, 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 blah. So I said, okay, great. We wrote the business plan, looked up online, you know, you know, what is required in a business plan, what they look for in financing with a business plan. And I redid the business plan, resubmitted everything again, denied. You know, and um, after about a second or third denial, I'm like, okay, seriously, what's happening here? Because I'm checking all the boxes that you're telling me every time you send back the, the application saying denied. For me, it's just making sense. So the last thing that they said to me was lack of experience in business. And I remember that in particular, because I'm like, okay, how, how the hell do I overcome that? It's a relatively new business. And from where I sat, you know, it's going to be successful. So what's your problem? You know, so I remember getting a little upset and I, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to just sit here and allow this thing to die because, of course, that burning thing in between me is there again, pushing me and nudging me along. You know, and I, I, I went into the bank, so out of character, went into the bank and I went upstairs and they were like, you know, I probably assumed they were like, oh, God, here again. And I went and I said, yes, yeah, so I need to speak to the manager. You know, so I went upstairs and I requested the loans manager. And, I, and I, my plan was not to move until I, I get to see her or him. So I got in there. Um, I think they realized, okay, I'm really not moving. And I went in and I pleaded my case. I guess I was really passionate and really convincing because they took a chance on me. And she approved it. She signed off on it and she said, okay, I see your documentation. Um, your problem is experience. Um, but she signed off on the, on the application and sent it back downstairs. That was my first thing in stepping up to defend my passion. I mean, in this case, it worked out pretty well. You know, sometimes you just have to step out of your comfort zone a bit. Because that, for me, was a huge step forward, you know, to do something like that. 
Um, but it worked out in the end and, and we got our first loan and we were able to fund the venture. Yeah, that's great. That's just like a testament to kind of standing up for what you believe in. So so now, so the business now kind of goes and it grows and it kind of evolves for a good while, a good number of years. And then some years back, you decided to make a big pivot and shift. So, so tell me a little bit more about that. All right. So, um, of course, when we started Morphin Business at Southern Technology, uh, it was pretty broad and wide. We didn't have a particular direction. We just wanted to do IT and IT services. So you would do every and anything from websites to piece repair to sales to anything IT related, we would do it, you know, because we didn't really zero in on what we really wanted to focus on, you know, it was our core business at that point in time. But of course, with experience, and at that time we had a, a major contract with one of the providers, telecom providers here. And um, that in itself allowed us to zero in a bit on where our niche was because we would now start to focus on, they would send us a lot of corporate jobs, which some of the other contractors may not have been able to do because of our background and the guys that we had, we were able to facilitate those things. But then when we got into these businesses, we realized a lot of them just don't know or they don't have the, the correct resource to help them to move forward. So that is where we decided, you know what, we're going to pivot a bit. That's when we started off 800 Tech. Well, it was a service, but we started calling it IT Patrol. We started off as a service at first to see you know, what would happen because now we can help these businesses. And of course, we love this non-transactional type you know, interaction where you know, we're going to see repeatedly and we're going to have conversations and we're going to help you grow in IT and help your business grow. And you know, So we love that. So we started off as IT Patrol as a small part of Southern Technology. But... We ended up with some little problems because we were utilizing the same resources and that was proving to create some problems with the contract that we had. So then we decided, you know what, let's resource this, this venture, start a new company, 800 Tech. We registered it, resourced it with new um, talent. The focus of 800 Tech now was quite clear because of our experience in business. We were targeting now SMEs and businesses only, no longer residential, no longer nothing else, just SMEs. You know, so that's why we pivoted on how this how the story went. Right. And, you know, I'm curious about, because I hear some interesting things inside there, um, which we've also talked about separately, which is you had a business model that was, you know, as you said, kind of fairly transactional, right? And you were kind of seeking uh, a deeper engagement and interaction with your customers, right? But why was that so important to you? Why was that something that, that you found important? It has always been like that for us. Well, for me in particular, I always preferred the relationship type setting because especially when we were dealing with customers, we would know, okay, if it is you tell us and we understand the situation that you just don't have the finances to buy a new computer, then that will fuel us to try and find a way to help you to get this one running. If you say, okay, listen, this is what we want to do, we would then advise you, okay, this computer is not the best option for that. Um, so it allowed us to put you in the correct spot in order to assist you better by us understanding what's going on with you. So similar in kind, when we started to go out to businesses, once we started to understand what it is you're really trying to do, you know, we wouldn't just come in and give you a solution, but the solution would actually be something in tandem with, with what your, your mission is for your business or what you're trying to achieve. You know, so that's why we like that non-transactional type thing, because then we able to help you a little better. It's very similar in kind to when you go to um, random doctors. They may misdiagnose you at time because they don't have your history. But when you go to a specific doctor and they have your files and they understand your body and what's going on with you, they're able to now follow through easily on treatment. 
So similar in kind, that's what we were trying to do. Understand your history so that we would know, okay, we can advise you. We know what your budgets may look like. We know what you're trying to achieve in your company. It makes the interaction a lot more successful. The company is going to be happier because we are now going to be able to recommend something that is specific for you and is applicable for your business. Yeah, and yeah, that's cool because like, one of the things that you know, I decided this season to really explore three themes, um, pivots, perseverance and purpose. And, you know, some people don't love the word pivot, but because it might suggest a complete change, but I really think about it more like sort of the, the natural evolution that, that almost any good company, it doesn't have to be a small entrepreneurial company, it could be large companies as well, kind of has to go through to survive, right? You know, you have to sort of see things and evolve and so on over time. So it sounded like you kind of you know, you, you on the one hand had this motivation to kind of have deeper, more extensive customer relationships, which is great for loyalty and so on. But you also were seeing an opportunity as well, kind of like you said before, where there was a problem that you were seeing and you, were, you weren't seeing it solved in that kind of classic way. So what was it that you were sort of seeing about the SME segment, the business segment, um, their need that kind of led you to kind of create almost this more sort of subscription, ongoing relationship kind of service? Yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned subscriptions because I remember we created a subscription service in Trinidad for IT services. It didn't go as, as planned. Um, it was fairly new. Subscription was new to, to Trinidad. You know, so that didn't work out too well, but it was a well-thought-out plan. And sometimes when we look at that business plan now, we smile at it because it was before its time, literally. But it was also in the vein of us trying to get to know customers better and to get all involved. So we always tell customers, no, we want to know. We want to be part of your, um, your management team. We want to understand, you know, what's going on with your business, especially in a time like this, because technology is in everything. And they always saw technology as a separate entity outside of the business. So you'll always have the marketing, they have the finance team, they'll have sales team, and that's it. You know, no, no IT team. You know, but then, you know, you have IT and IT services in your business. So by us now having this non-transactional type relationship with clients, we are now able to advise you there's a lot more benefits to having the internet and having technology beyond just sending emails and browsing websites. You know, that was our whole mission. Getting to know you and understanding your strategic objectives and your goals, we can then advise you how you should go about um you know, applying different solutions in your business, IT-wise. Tell me then how this kind of connects to your company's purpose and mission, because I heard some interesting things inside there. So what would you say is the mission for the company and the purpose at this point in time, the higher order purpose? Right. So something that um that I want to correct now, at Ethernet Tech, we don't really see Ethernet Tech as an, just an IT company. We see Ethernet Tech as a business technology company, all right? And the reason for that is because of, we had a little pivot again, because we are realizing now that what we do really well, again, non-transactional, is when we are able to become your management, your IT management team, you know, and we can actually advise you, you know, as you go along. So the high order for 800 Tech is really to help businesses utilize technology more effectively. That is our mission. And that's what we want to do. Yeah. You know, so that is why in the um, end of 2018, 2019, we started to look down the part of doing development because we realized that a lot of companies in Trinidad, they were using Word and Excel primarily to do most things, you know, and printing a lot of stuff. 
So we started to look at creating applications, you know, to put in businesses and create an ecosystem that would allow them to function at a higher level and be more efficient, you know, and then came the pandemic, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, so we were a little ahead of the curve there. We had some solutions that we could actually implement in businesses to help them because our thing is always bringing efficiency, utilizing IT, you know, and productivity. That's all we have been trying to do. So that's why most of our customers who would listen and when the pandemic hit, it was an easy switch for them because they would have their, their things in place already. And it's just literally just to turn the dial a bit, amp things up a little bit and then continue going. You know, so it was quite easy for those customers that, that were pretty much engaged at that point in time to pivot for the pandemic. Yeah, that's interesting because there's kind of two things you said there that, that are interesting. I want to kind of touch on both. Uh, let's first, let's kind of first start with the most recent one, which is here comes the pandemic, right? Um, and I think you're in a space where here you had uh, companies like Microsoft saying that they saw years of, of digital adoption in two months, you know, kind of like last year, March and April and so on, as companies were kind of forced to rush into technology to figure out remote work or for, for you know, just kind of business continuity or, or to sell more effectively in the new world and that sort of thing. So I'm curious about a couple of things. I'm, I'm curious about, you know, the impact of the pandemic on, on your business and uh, what you saw, and not necessarily just, um, you know, were you able to adapt? to remote work because of course you would have had that but like you know how, how did it create challenge or, or opportunity for your business because other 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 people listening have kind of had to contend with that and then what did you see in terms of customers reactions your, your kind of caribbean customers but let's start with the first one let's start with with you with your business and how you adapted accordingly so how we adapted it's um it was pretty smooth for us internally because uh, again we've been working virtually for a while but what we experienced was customers fearful, you know, of this new environment that you'll have to operate in. You know, so we saw that we had to alleviate some fears, but for us internally, how it impacted us is that there were customers that would have been impacted financially by the shifts. So then that would trickle its way down to us, you know, because obviously they would, they would have some problems in, in meeting obligations. So that's how it impacted us really. And I think that was the biggest impact that they had on us. Beyond that was managing team, the team to ensure that, you know, we make sure everybody's outfitted for technology and outfitted to work um, remotely. It's so just managing the team because now we had a, a grouping of customers that were fearful, were demanding with lots of questions. So of course the team could experience burnout at any point in time. And some of them they were experiencing burnout. So we had to have frequent meetings, you know, to update, split workload, and then just give them different techniques and strategies you know, how are we going to, you know, maintain customers, answer their questions, alleviate their fears, and give them the best technology that they need for their environment. So that's how it impacted us internally. It was just us managing our guys, managing the schedules of employees, and um, answering these questions that, that businesses will have. In terms of, in the, well, in Trinidad in particular, uh, as I said before, what we saw is that fear factor. You know, a lot of them... They were fearful. And the biggest thing was employees going to be productive when they're home. What, what are they going to be doing on their systems when they're home? And we had to tell them, listen, having them at the office for eight hours a day doesn't mean that they're productive. They could just be sitting at the computers for eight hours every day and giving you probably less productivity than, than what they would give you at home. So we had that, you know, those fears, those type of concerns coming forward. And another thing that we had to introduce to them was the, the risk involved. Because now you have employees working in outside of your secure network 
utilizing your devices, we had to educate them that, listen, we need to put things in place to protect your data, to protect these devices that are going out in the wild, you know, and, and educate users on how to utilize, how to actually do remote work in the safest manner. You know, not just every right. hotspot you meet, you log on to and you do work. You know, so those are some of the things that, that we experience, you know, as we, we traverse this this journey. And you don't want to give another shout out to Guardian Life of the Caribbean, our sponsor for today's episode, and talk a little bit about another solution that they provide, which are really their pension solution, which is a really interesting thing because I've actually had more employees recently start coming and asking about what the company can do for them in terms of, you know, helping them to advance their retirement and other goals. And pensions can be a way that as an employer, you can kind of help to, you know, set up your employee's future or the next stage of their life after they leave your company, um, or if, you know, something should befall them that, you know, requires a benefit to be paid to their dependents. Again, like I said before, employees are really the most valuable asset of any business. Um, And so Guardian Life is really partnering with companies to help them set their employees up with real powerful financial planning for the future, including pension plans that can help employees and their dependents after retirement or in the case of an untimely death. Of course, pensions have existed for a long time and, you know, they've been really uh, proven to be pretty useful financially for a lot of people. Um, Now, they can be actually unregistered or registered and they can have a number of different advantages where, for example, if people reach retirement age, they will, you know, generally experience a reduction in income. So a pension can make up for some of this loss of income in retirement. So it kind of has an income protection value. They can also provide, as I mentioned before, protection in the form of lump sum payments and uh, payments to dependents in the event of an untimely death. And they can also provide a certain amount of tax relief, where if you're in Trinidad and Tobago, for example, you can get up to $50,000 a year uh, if it's a registered pension plan. So it's really interesting because this was something that might have been seen before as something for, you know, a different era, but it's starting to become, you know, something that's increasingly more in demand and could be a way that your organization could stand out. So check out Guardian Life of the Caribbean if you're interested in getting a pension plan and exploring this solution for your organization. For more information, log on to myguardiangroup.com. Yeah, and I want to kind of go back to something that sparked for me earlier on when you talked a little bit about kind of purpose and so on. At this stage of my career, I, I tend to think a lot about scale scaling, whether it's entrepreneurially or scaling kind of from a corporate standpoint. And one of the things that becomes important is translating a a, a vision and mission to to other people who may not see it as clearly as you and who um, maybe maybe don't start off initially, at least with the same vested interest. So, So what specifically have you done as you've kind of locked in on that purpose over over the over over the years and over time how have you managed to translate that effectively what techniques have you used we've always tried to create a culture and i think you know that culture is important um i think that's a first building block for translating that mission and vision that you have um for to your employees creating a culture creating the foundation for that it wasn't easy and it still isn't easy. It's not something that, you know, happens overnight. And especially in an environment where you have frequent employee switches and changes and, and resignations and new hires. And you know, when you have that a lot, it doesn't really help that much. So we, first of all, try to create an environment where we have stability. By creating that stability, we had to create a, a culture that, you know, employees will want to, to stay in a company. So I think we've done that successfully. We've created that culture where, where employees will want to stay because we our, our employees are 10 years plus 
and that is not common um, for technology people. You know, they, they, they change careers pretty quickly and change jobs pretty quickly. So that's the first thing. And then just plenty of conversation because we have two box meetings every week so that you understand what's happening with the company. You know everything that's going on in the company. We actually have those meetings and we update you from marketing to sales to where we're thinking about going, new acquisitions, new customers, new strategy, everything. Right. You, you call those what? Tool, toolbox meetings? Toolbox meetings, yeah. Okay. So this is what? So you, so the whole company kind of coming together and you're just covering yep. any and all topics? Tell me a little bit more about that. So the toolbox meeting, um, they're pretty structured. So we'd have those toolbox meetings virtually. They'll always start off with a prayer. Toolbox meeting will always start with a prayer. Um, either somebody volunteer for, to do the prayer or, um, you know, we assign somebody every week to do the prayer. And then we get into updates. You know, we, we speak about, you know, what's new, what happened from um, the last meeting, um, anything new on the horizon. Then we talk about what strategies we, we're going to implement over the quarter. Then we also go into a Q&A where they indicate, okay, what problems they, they experienced during the week. And collectively, we'll all discuss it. You know, if it's a, a particular issue with a customer, you know, we discuss it and we reassign resources accordingly or resource somebody a little more. You know, those kind of things. It's just so you don't ever feel alone. Everybody knows everybody. We are custom all working together. We line together. We know everybody intimately. So that in itself, you know, it helps with replication of your vision. It took time. And then there were some employees where they have little weaknesses. Um, it is really customer relations and stuff like that. We would send them little courses to help build that. Because if we want to be a non-transactional company, you can't be uptight and you can't be a non-effective communicator. We saw those little gaps and we would, you know, repair those little gaps. Everybody now understands, you know, and sometimes they say, Wow, they all they all move like you. Not really, you know, but it's just the culture of the company and the mission of the company understand it well. You know, we are here to help. We our purpose is to help businesses to utilize technology effectively. You know, so that's why they all sound like if I'm talking to you. Because we all understand the mission and the vision and the, the, the overall, you know, driving force. Yeah, that's great. And and kind of speaking of team, um, you have an interesting situation in the sense that you, after some time, your wife actually came into into the business as well, right? So so you're both there, kind of driving. And I think you recently had uh, your 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 eight year anniversary. Is is that right? Eight year anniversary of eight hundred tech. So to tell us a little bit about kind of how you've you know evolved as a leader working you know again with family as well but also just as a leader over the course of time and then you know i recently did a, a press interview and one of the questions was you know how did your leadership style um evolve in the pandemic so very curious for you how it evolved and changed over time and kind of key learnings there yeah so how it evolved over time because this was my my baby of, of sorts i would want to stranglehold it I wanted to know everything. I wanted to do everything. I wanted it done my way. But as we started to grow, that became more difficult and it was a little frustrating at times. So my biggest thing was learning how to let go, you know, and how to trust other people, trust employees that they would do their job effectively. That was my biggest hurdle. Even when I had just one employee, that was difficult because I wanted to tell him how to do everything. You know, I wanted him to do it my way. But learning how to let go, and trust employees and, and allow them the latitude to be and to execute. You know, I think that was something huge for me. And during the pandemic, or as we traverse time, it actually worked out because now we're in a situation where I am heavily involved and that is heavily involved 
in the development and helping businesses um, transition digitally. And of course, we still have the, the operations um, IT services running. I used to head that, that division, but now I, my time is split or my effort is, is now somewhere else. So what we had to do is promote one of the guys to become IT team lead and charge him with the responsibility of running that service. So we've done that. I must say it was a little scary at first, but I learned to trust his judgment. And I told the team, listen, we have all confidence in him. Whatever he says is final. And even if sometimes he makes decisions, I don't totally agree with. We would have that discussion one-on-one, not in front of the team, but we'd have that discussion. We'll guide and say, listen, I didn't think that was the best thing to do, but you know, because you said it in front of the team, we're going to leave it like that. We're going to find a way to work around it. But next time, you know, I think this is probably how we should approach this instead. It's always a learning experience and, and, and it's never where we buffing employees. So that culture of learning and exploring and being able to be, I think that that is what um, we've utilized. And for me personally, being able to let one trust other people that they can actually do what they have to do and help scale this vision. I think that was important. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I love the aspect of, of coaching that you described as well, because I think that, that that's another aspect that I, I find, and certainly in my experience as well, you know, over the over the arc of time, you kind of go from wanting to have it be done your way and, and jump in and no, no, you know, switch it around or do it this way, or, or I want to undo somebody else's work to, you know, sometimes you still have to help people evolve and, and take it to another level, but you start bringing in more coaching and more advice um, and a quiet word over here, not necessarily in the same way that you're doing it. So, so that that's really awesome to hear. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious now about, you know, kind of what's next for the company. You know, I know you recently pivoted even further into into some new services. So, so I want you to talk a little bit about that, but I also want you to talk about where you, where you hope to take the company, not just in, you know, six months or a year, but but over a longer arc of time, you know, three years, five years as well. All right. So, um, of course, what the focus now is this whole digital transformation drive that we have. But because IT is ever-changing and because this world that we live in now is so, so dynamic, for me, it's a little difficult to have a, a, a forecast, you know, as to where we want to go next. Right now, the, the heavy focus is, you know, the mission is helping, you know, our SME sector because we've zoned in on SMEs. And our mission is helping SMEs, the SME sector in Trinidad in the first instance to be able to adopt technology effectively in their business and allow technology to be their driving force and to allow them to compete internationally. Because yes, we have this Forex issue, but the underlying thing is that we are not competitive in nature, you know, to be able to go out there and compete in the global market, especially in SMEs, the, the larger companies can and so in some instances, it is still um, falter. But the SME sector we have here is huge. But they're not poised to compete internationally because a lot of them don't use technology. They don't see technology as, as a value-added service to their business. So that is our mission for the next two to, to three years, just to make sure that we help entrepreneurs and SMEs in Trinidad in the first, Trinidad to be in the first instance, to be able to compete internationally. Because that, that is our, our way of assisting with the Forex problem that we have. Once we get this SME sector up and running, we could actually help them on the international market. They'd be able to compete and they, they, they could place orders online and they could do everything, you know, and compete globally. That, that's our mission. And then, of course, we want to span that out, you know, into the Caribbean region and replicate that, do the, do the same thing. And 
what we really really would like to see is a whole hub of caribbean companies being represented internationally you know we want to see that you know so right now we're brainstorming some activities that would actually um help that and kickstart that drive you know to helping smes in trinidad and tobago in the first instance to be able to utilize technology to compete globally and of course you know bring in forex in the end yeah well i'm, I'm smiling to myself as i hear that because um literally you 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 know if you know it but we at caribbean ideas have sort of have as our mission to help Caribbean people and organizations become more globally competitive and influential. So it's all pretty, pretty similar, right? Um, you know, which I love, right? Because I, I, I and, and one of the things that's actually really cool is that, you know, meet so many people who have that same yeah. drive or ambition. In fact, that's what Uptick is about. Uptick is about showcasing, you know, the people who are innovating and creating things and and that's really why right it's to it's to help create that new generation that will succeed on the global business stage so so i just love that you said that um i didn't know you were going to say that but it's really awesome that you did and you know we, we have uh we have sort of kindred spirits there so so you know as we wrap i want you to kind of get get introspective for a second um you know think about some of the things that you would tell your younger self um you know before you were embarking on on this journey that other you know folks who are who are behind you in the journey could also take from what would be a couple of those key lessons you know follow your gut that's the first thing do not be afraid to do that follow your intuition and always remember that once you're in an uncomfortable position growth is around the corner so discomfort always equals to growth you always have to follow that when you feel so uncomfortable inside that you almost feel as if you can't do anything else but this trust me that is the right direction for you i'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy you know but if you're passionate enough on it or about it you would succeed you know so just follow your intuition follow your gut you know it would actually lead you into the right path. Yeah, well, I love that. Well, you know, again, I want to just thank you, Schofield, for taking some time to share some of your story and, and some of your perspectives with Uptick. Really enjoyed the conversation and looking forward to seeing you transform uh, more Caribbean SMEs going forward. Thank you for having us in Uptick. Awesome. Well, there you have it. That was Schofield Thomas, founder of 800 Tech, a business in Trinidad and Tobago that's all about helping Caribbean small and medium-sized enterprises transform and harness the power of information technology to do so. He's a real example of how grit and determination can help fuel you towards your dreams and why it's so important to put great customer experience at the top of your list. I hope you enjoyed it. Drop us a line at ideas at caribbeaninnovation.com if you want to give feedback on the show. And remember, leave us a review if they like the show. Thanks. I'd like to take a moment to thank Guardian Group for sponsoring today's episode. They've built their reputation around first-class insurance products, many of which are great for entrepreneurs and innovators who are out there. So it comes as no surprise that they have a cool product called Keyman Insurance in their product portfolio. You can check out this product and more at www.myguardiangroup. Make sure you know the next time an episode of Uptick drops by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, share Uptick with a friend. Now, on behalf of Caribbean Ideas, this is Chike Farrell signing off. And remember, keep on ticking up. Mm-hmm.